This tape was made at the First Baptist Church of Winter Park, Florida, March the 14th, 1976, at the evening service. The message, Making Disciples by Leading Others to Know and Do the Will of God, is presented by J.C. Mitchell.
I don't know whether you notice someone different about our group, but I just wanted to say something tonight. I tell you, you just don't realize what happened this past week. Last Thursday, a week ago last Thursday, uh, Karen DeBerry was diligently at our practice. Friday afternoon, she had a baby boy, and tonight she's here singing with us. I think that deserves a round of applause. in this series, you remember that we began by sharing that in order for one to become a disciple, that the disciple needs to be plugged in to the Lord through the discipline of a daily quiet time that involves reading God's Word, that's God talking to the disciple. And prayer, that's the disciple talking to God. But this matter of discipleship involves far more than just a personal relationship to the Lord. It also involves the disciple being rightly related to the church. This relationship involves involvement, ministry, service, but also there is the reciprocation of fellowship among those who are a part of a body. The body has its relationship in a unique way to the Lord. The body, through 
worship, and proclamation sustains its relationship just as the disciple does through prayer and God's word, his relationship to the Lord. Last Sunday night, we emphasized the importance of the disciple living not by his emotions, but by the will of God as it concerns his relationship with the Lord and his relationship to the body. Now this evening we come a step further. We must teach those that Christ would have to be his followers what the will of the Lord is. Obviously, if we're to live not by our emotions, but by the will of the Lord, then we must know what God's will is. And so that's where we are in our message this evening. Ephesians 6.10 in the New English Bible. Try to find out what pleases the Lord. From the same translation, Ephesians 5, 16 through 17. Use the present opportunity to the full, for these are evil days. So do not be fooled, but try to understand what the will of the Lord is. Some of my favorite words are those penned by the late Dr. George Truitt. To find the will of God is the greatest treasure. To know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. We find from the Scripture that God is not only our Creator, our Redeemer, our Comforter and Judge, but he is also our architect. For he designed these lives of ours. He has a plan for each of us. He has details concerning every aspect of our existence. The problem is in discovering and doing his will. Dr. Chester Swore has pointed out that there were two gardens in the Bible and two gardens in our experience today. There was the Garden of Eden where man prayed, not thy will be done, but mine. And then there was the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, Nevertheless, not as I will, but what you want, O Lord. Before every one of us is the clear call of our Savior as we find it in Philip's translation. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, 
he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross and follow me. For the man who wants to save his life will lose it, but the man who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, as we consider this matter of knowing and doing the will of God, there are six important statements that all of us must understand as we come to understand and do the will of God. One, God does have a will for every life, and His will is always best. Two, God has the capability of revealing that will, and you and I do have the capacity for understanding it. And there are three aspects to the will of God. And I think that I would list these a little differently. His ultimate will, His perfect will, and His permissive will. For basically, His circumstantial and permissive will are basically the same. Now it is the goal for every follower of Jesus Christ to find and to do God's perfect will. God wants you to have His best. And His best is in His perfect will. But there's a problem in knowing and doing the will of God. In that you and I have a will, and Satan has a will. And for this reason, it is not always possible for us to clearly understand, much less do the will of God. Five, the revelation of God's will comes in many different ways and through various sources. But six, always the supposed will of God will never be in conflict with God's Word. I remember some years ago a young person coming to me and saying, I believe it's God's will for me to marry this person. I said, but how can it be he has been divorced already three times? And she contended that it was very definitely God's will but God never leads us to do that which is contrary to what is clearly taught in the Bible. And so this brings us to the important question, how can we know the will of God? Some of you have already heard the story which Dr. F.B. Meyer related. He shares that when he was crossing the Irish Channel one dark night, he asked the captain of the ship, how is it possible for you on such a dark night to find your way into Holyhead Harbor? The captain replied, you see those three lights over there on the shore? When they line up as one, then I know that I am on the right course and can go safely into the harbor's mouth. There are lights, 
which our God has given to us to guide us into the harbor of his will. Dr. T.B. Maskin expresses these in this way. There is a light from above. There is light from within. And there is light from without. And when these lights line up, then we know that we're on the right course in doing and following the will of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so let's look at these. First of all, light from above. God has revealed himself. We call this divine revelation. The record of it is found in the scriptures. And of course in the scriptures we find that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God's revelation. God has given now the Holy Spirit that through the Holy Spirit in our hearts we may come to understand just what His will is in the Scriptures. And so, first of all, this light from above comes to us through the Bible, God's Word. As you read the Bible, you will discover that it's not a rule book. And yet, God does speak specifically concerning some matters. When he does, then that is our authority. But for the most part, God simply lays down principles. He seeks to build into our lives wisdom in making the right decision. Through the word of God, we have light from above. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then related to the Bible is this matter of prayer that we've also looked at. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberal and who upbraideth not through the scripture and prayer the disciple receives this light from above to guide him in every choice of life but there is something else related to this light from above that is what we call circumstances the scripture teaches that our Lord is transcendent that is, God comes down to dwell in a human life, and he has the power to work through circumstances. And so as he lives in our hearts and works through circumstances, this cooperates with the Bible and prayer to give us an indication of his will as light comes from above. I guess one of my favorite stories in the Bible is that of young Samuel. And he so well illustrates this light from above. First of all, in that story of his call to the ministry, you remember that there was the word of the Lord. 
then Eli suggested to Samuel that if he hears the voice again, that he simply asked, Lord, is that you? He suggested that he pray. And then it was that God worked in circumstances in closing one door as he removed Eli and opened another door as he placed Samuel in the place of ministry to which he had called him. In this matter of discipleship, we must help people to find that there is light from above in guiding them in every decision that they face in their personal lives, in their vocation, in their marriage, in every facet of one's existence. Secondly, there is light from within. Now, of course, this is a lesser light, and always it must be in subjection to the light from above. But nevertheless, it is given by God as a means of our understanding His will and His way. This light from within is presented in an alliteration, three words, concern, conscience, and common sense. By concern, I simply mean that there is a desire to know and to do the will of God. Unless one really seeks the Lord with his heart, then certainly God is not going to give his will to any insincere or half-hearted individual. Secondly, there is this matter of a conscience. The Bible teaches us that we're born with an innate sense of rightness and wrongness, that within every one of us there are those powers to think, to reason, to judge, and then to decide. Of course, this matter of the conscience in the non-believers, or in the carnal Christian, is perverted and undeveloped. And only as one is framed through the Scriptures and by the Spirit of God does the conscience, this sense of oughtness within an individual, become a very reliable source in making those decisions. That development or maturing process comes through God's Word. Look at that scripture in Hebrews 5.14. Their perceptions are trained by long use to discriminate between good and evil. I hope somehow in this emphasis you're beginning to see the importance of God's Word in your life. God's Word is the means whereby those senses are so developed that the Christian is able to determine what is good and what is bad, what is good and what is evil. And then closely related to this is what we call 
common sense. Someone has said that common sense is nothing else but horse sense. And horse sense is just stable thinking. Someone prayed, Lord, give me leadership. He said no leadership came, so he just used his common sense. But that's not right. God has given us the ability to think, to reason. He has given us the machinery that is exercised through prayer and the Scripture whereby we can have the mind of Christ and through the thought process reason out and judge and come to make those decisions which are right for our lives. All of us need to be cautioned at this point that this inner life must stand the test of light from above. God's Word and prayer and ultimately circumstances. Because as you and I well know many times, decisions which we have made through conscience and common sense are in contradiction to God's light from without. God has provided those individuals who are living in his will, who are walking in the light, as a source of light to give us counsel and direction when we come to the crossroads and need the word and the help of someone else. Those Christian friends, as we talk with them, they help us to get insight to our problems as we ventilate and talk about them. And furthermore, those individuals who look at things more objectively are better able to see them than you and I are. Yet we give the word of caution, always evaluate the counsel of any friend in the light of what the Bible teaches and also what their own life manifests. Furthermore, be careful that you do not become overly dependent on people, never able to decide for yourself always depending on someone else to give you the answer, the direction. Certainly God provides these wonderful individuals that will help us. And the Bible teaches us that we are to turn to others for counsel. And yet we need to be careful.
that we are not overly dependent upon them. And then I mention also the written experiences of great Christians, their biographies, history itself. There are few problems that any of us, individually or as a body and a nation, face, but what others have faced them. And through what has been written down as a record of history, the experiences of other people, then we find light and direction in helping us to, dis de to determine God's will. And then there is the blessed fellowship and the love of the church of which you are a part. Jesus recommended in Matthew 18, 17 that people consult the church concerning various problems. One of the greatest stories and illustrations that I know of that will help us to understand how the church can guide us in the way that we should go is what happened to George W. Truett, one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived in America. The Truett family moved from Western North Carolina to Texas. There, young George, only 19 years old, went to college, worked, and at night he was reading law because this was his desire to become a lawyer. He relates that one night he went to a church service and a deacon was in charge and that deacon surprised Truett and here are his words. One Saturday night I went to church where all of our family were members. After the sermon, a revered old deacon got up to speak. He began with generality. Some talk about the beauty of individuals and the beauty that belong to the group. But presently, he got painfully specific and personal. Then everyone in the house knew he was talking about me. He was urging that I decided once for the ministry. I protested. I had done so before when the deacon mentioned the matter to me privately. I joined the church at 19. I was willing to be a faithful lay member, but I had my own plans for a career. The deacon talked to the church. The members prayed, and others exhorted me. Finally, they agreed unanimously that God was calling me to the ministry. And Truett relates that he asked for six months in which to make a decision. But they gave him only six hours. And through the night, he walked and prayed, and by the next morning, he too agreed that God was calling him, and he was ordained to the gospel ministry and became pastor of a church that is now the largest church in the world, the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers, your family called Christian in First Baptist of Winter Park is a part of God's process of giving you direction. And as you share with this body, and as this body becomes sensitive to your development, your direction, 
as it becomes sensitive to the will of God, so this body is used of the Lord in giving direction to your life. But by this illustration, I would not lead some of you to think that God simply reveals His will concerning these big decisions concerning vocation and marriage and so on. I emphasize again as we look at the Scripture that God is our architect. He has planned our lives. He has planned each day. And He has a perfect will concerning your life, your relationships, what you're to do, how you're to spend your time and your money. He has a will concerning every choice that you and I face. Down to the choice, shall I buy this pair of shoes or should I buy that pair of shoes? As we come to seek the mind of Christ, as Billy Graham points out, as we bring these matters to God in prayer, as we check the alternatives against the Scriptures, as we seek the counsel of dedicated, informed Christians, when we begin to act positively rather than through doubt, and then when we consider the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit, more and more we come to that place that in our relationships and in our daily lives we can discern just what God wants of our lives. Added to what Billy Graham states is a sixth thing which has been written by Mark Quartz in his discipleship material. And this paragraph is so pertinent, I want you to read it with me. There it is on page 5, item 6. When you have checked out the matter before you concerning your life and its future, and there is nothing in God's will that opposes it, and the counsel of Christian friends encourages it, and the Spirit of God grants blessed peace over it, then you must move out by faith and practice it. I've discovered that it is far easier for God to say no as you move out in faith than it is for Him to push you through an open door. Far more Christians are hindered by the lack of moving out and by acting upon what appears to be the will of God than are hindered by moving too quickly into an area in which the Lord is not directing Whenever God puts in the mind of a sincere, spirit-filled Christian some thought, and that thought continues to come to one's mind, and it is not contrary to the Scripture, then it is that the Christian needs to move out and act upon that 
seems to be the impression that God has given. And God then, in his own power and time, will close the door, will work in that Christian's life to indicate whether truly this is the direction in which he is to go or whether it is contrary to his will. Beloved, God does not usually flood the soul with his light from above, from within, and from without. Even though Saul of Tarsus was stricken with that light on the Damascus road, yet he was not given the full revelation of God's will. He was told, Rise, enter into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And so Saul, acting on what he knew, on the light that was given, he entered into the city. And there God through a blessed, godly disciple, further instructed the apostle Paul in what he was to do. And so in finding the will of God, you and I must learn to take a step at a time and follow what light we have. And then it is, as we learn that steady, day-by-day walking with the Lord, so He gives us His direction, His life, in the decisions which are to be made in our lives. No person can truly be a disciple of Jesus until he knows and does the will of God. What is God's will for your life as you come now to the end of a Lord's day? What are the decisions that Christ has been impressing upon your life? For some of you, it's a decision to trust Him as Savior and to follow Him as the Lord of your life. Won't you decide and come tonight and share that decision? For some of you, God has brought you into this area. And he's brought you into the fellowship of this church. And he's leading you now to take up your cross of responsibility alongside other believers in this body to count for him, to witness for him, to worship and to love him. That's God's will for some of you. Tonight, won't you come? and register publicly that decision.